You're listening to the Nonprofit Buildup Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Campbell. I want to support movements that can interrupt cycles of injustice and inequity and shift power towards vulnerable and marginalized communities. I've spent years working in and with nonprofits and philanthropies, and I know how important infrastructure is to outcomes. On this show, we'll talk about how to build capacity to transform the way you and your organization work. Hi, everyone. It's Katie, Buildup's Manager of Global Operations. This week on the Nonprofit Buildup, Nick is continuing the conversation with Yvonne Moore. You can jump back to part one of the conversation to learn more about Avon's expertise, major accomplishments, and the incredible work of more philanthropy and more impact. But with that, let's dive into the second part of Nick's conversation with Yvonne, where they discuss how funders can approach funding organizations they do not know and reframing risk. To be honest, it's not scary. I was going to say it's a little nerve-wracking, but it's actually not. So what, let me ask you a follow-up on that, Yvonne. So you're asking other colleagues, let's say no one knows them. Let's say you're, you're looking at the funding. They don't have other funders, you know, a ton of funders or any funders that you recognize. Mm-hmm. And they're really, in, they're really a startup. Does any of your approach that you've explained, does that change at all? You know, it changes in that. And actually, because this is actually what we want to know from everybody is, How do we partner with you in a way that actually doesn't bring about more drama for you? So, for example, Mm -hmm. these are two year grants. And so we're like we had all this discussion around budget size and not, you know, one of the things that I can't stand that we do is that assume people can't manage money or that they can't handle cash. That irritates me to no end. (laughs) People love to say that, especially in the international space. Well, you know, too much cash. I don't know. (laughs) First of all, I don't know. And not that all these people are poor. I don't know a single poor person who does not know how to manage money. So stop, please. If anybody has ever said that, please stop that. Why don't you ask? And so, but we did look at their budget size with regard to, are we going to be a problem if we give them this huge chunk of change, which we love to do, but then if it pulls out in two years and we can't actually find a way to provide them with a third year of funding, is that going to be a problem? So looking at all of the grantee partners, in particular, those we think of as kind of like early investment or, because I don't really like nascent. I like early investment. They're new. They may be small. We give them an amount that actually allows them to do something with it. Mm-hmm. But then actually, and then, and you know, so then we're thinking about capacity building. It's like, so this first conversation we have with them, how's it going? Like, what's going on? Are you struggling? How are you as a leader? I love getting time with EDs because when you talk to them by themselves, you find out a lot of what they're struggling with, if anything. They're struggling with that one ED I spoke to for a different, because we're also looking at funding intermediaries, similar to more impact that are working in their communities. And, you know, it's like somebody hasn't had a vacation in eight years. That's not sustainable. And so talking to folks about what is it that you need? What is it that you think you need? What is sustainable? What is something you can actually implement? Because I know we love to do capacity building for stuff that people can't even implement because they don't have the space, the time. You haven't given them enough money to actually hire the financial consultant for, you know, with enough time for actually help them put it in place. Like that's actually not helpful capacity building. How do they actually put it into, you know, how do they get it to work in the organization? So those are the conversations that we'll have really with everyone, but in particular, the nascent organizations. Oh my gosh, I just thought about someone. I have a a buddy here in Colorado who 
his Navajo. And I was like, and she actually works for a policy organization around Indian rights. And I was like, she's going to know some good people just because she's not actually working. She is doing the policy work. So she may not be on the community side. I texted her and I was like, you must know some good people. And then referred us to this really small woman-led organization. I'm so excited to learn more about. That's someone that we we did chat with them because we really wanted to get a hold of what they were doing and what they were trying to do, the vision for the for this organization, small advocacy organization. So yeah, kind of thinking about what is it, what does sustainability look like? And when I say sustainability, I'm not talking about getting off of philanthropic funding because that's silly. Because inherently a nonprofit is set up knowing that the majority of your life, you're going to need philanthropic investment or investment, wherever that might come from. So no, sustainability is about, is about, do you have good leadership? Is your leadership healthy? Is your leadership happy? Is your leadership getting the, the training that they need? Do you have a succession plan? You know, what does your team look like? Are you able to lead your team? What does your salary look like? Are people able to live? Like all these things around sustainability, it's not people just want to, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, that's what we mean by sustainability. Are your programs, are, are you setting your programs up to be successful? Are you have too many programs? Do you need to pull back? Do you need to expand? And the other conversation that kind of frustrates me is merging. It's like, again, the sector, you can't get frustrated with people having so many nonprofits when we continue. We ourselves as a sector even create nonprofits. We think about all the affinity groups that exist in philanthropy. So we can't get mad because there's so many nonprofits because some of them we actually encourage to start. Now, do we need to think about, you know, and this is what I tell my organizations. And this is what I asked myself. I was like, do you really need to set up a nonprofit fund? Is that what you really need to do? Yeah. So have that conversation with yourself, with your community. Are you filling a gap? Yada, yada. Anyway, so. Yeah, this is that's what so those new folks, the folks that we really don't know well, the smaller mm-hmm. folks really trying to figure out. We have a small pot of capacity building money and actually goals to build a much larger capacity building program, leadership program. There's an am- amazing model here in Denver that is headed by LaDawn Sullivan and, and the way that she's doing leadership development for the leaders, leaders of color. It is, it's just amazing. So, so yeah, that's kind of how we'll approach those conversations in the beginning. Right. I like that because when you're talking about sustainability and when we talk about sustainability as a sector, I feel like we focus on just the organization itself as though the organization is not comprised of people and leaders, right? <laughs> Who can experience burnout and need to be sustained as well. So exactly. I really, yeah, I really like when we're talking about sustainability, we're talking about the sustainability of the people within the organization. And so when we talk about capacity, it's like, how do you give capacity to the people first and foremost, so that they have the space to think, to innovate, to experiment and make sure that the organization is sustainable. So that's all. It's it's like general operating support. It's like, Uh, why are you nickel and diming someone about paying for a talented person? You want creativity and innovation. You want, good metrics, good numbers, KIPs, great evaluation, but you won't even pay for a file cabinet. Right. And we're and I, way past yes. file cabinets now. Right. You won't, pay about, you, <laughs> you won't pay for upgrading data and systems so that all this information can be gathered and then break out this all this amazing data. 
So it's like, don't talk if you're not gonna, if you're not having the general operating support conversation, you can't even have the sustainability conversation. It, yes. It's actually not possible. I, I I hate to break it to you, but you can't. <laughs> Sorry, but it's it's like Agreed. it's people. It's people, and how do you allow people to work at their best? Mm-hmm. To work at their best, it's really Agreed. insulting. Agreed. You know, I think, and I like. I like this positioning, right? We we're talking about general operating support and that clear linkage to sustainability. Because when you're talking about general operating support, you're talking about investing in an organization, right? So you might like the, the projects that they're doing, the activities that they're leading, but you're essentially saying, I am investing in your sustainability and your people's sustainability as well. And I know before we started recording, we were talking about the sector looking for what it has never invested in. And that has come through very clearly from what you just shared, which is you want all these things, but then you refuse to actually provide the funding to ensure that the people can produce the things. So yep. how are we here? Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. This this moment is it's amazing to me. And I actually mean this moment. I don't mean what everybody else refers to as a moment. So mm-hmm. with you know, the the murder of George Floyd and everything forward from there. The activism, protism, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that moment. For me, that's welcome to the conversation because we've been having this conversation for 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. So that's welcome. The moment I'm talking about is people saying, yeah, I'm like, no, that's not a moment. Welcome. We've been talking about it. So no, it's not. That's not the moment I'm talking about. The moment I'm speaking of is people wanting to work with fill in the blank whether it's Black women, women of color, people of color, Native communities, yet you've never invested in any kind of infrastructure or even, and when I say invest in infrastructure, I'm not actually talking about a grant either. I'm talking about partnership, a contract, an agreement, working together. I'm not actually talking about just giving people money. I'm actually talking about working a fee-for-service, right? Because we bring expertise, not just the color of our skin, not just the optics. So that's what I mean by this moment is that these are, they're people with whom you want to work. And I'm very grateful, but you can't wonder why you can't find. I started more impact out of frustration from working with a donor who did not want to or chose not to work with a person that looked like the young people that she, or that the young people that they were actually trying to support or say that they were supporting. And that's why I began it. I was like, build up. There are not that many other people in the space who have founded. You and I have founded Black women who have founded organizations and Black women who have hella experience. Like when I talk about build up, I was like, let me tell you something. Nick Campbell <laughs> can fund anywhere, anything, any kind of any kind of conflict. So don't tell me she can't manage a fiscal sponsorship. No, don't tell me that. And no. So like, yeah. So if you've never invested in it, you now want to work with it and you wonder why they're in a particular life cycle or why don't you have this or why don't you have that? Well, because we're using our own money. We're trying to leverage our relationships and our networks. And when other colleagues who come from wealth and can create these organizations or companies that they've built, it may look a little bit different, a little bit quicker. It may take us a little bit longer when we don't have the investment, we don't have the trust. 
of the larger sector. So yeah, it's like the sector now wants what it's never invested in, but we're still killing it. Right. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) I have so many more questions, Iman. I know that you... (laughs) I feel like this conversation can really keep going. Um, And I did want to, I want to at least touch on it. And maybe it's like a conversation that we follow up on, but you also talked about impact investing. And I wanted to make sure that we at least touched on that, particularly as we think about equity, centering equity, talking about how can we be inclusive in that space? Because impact investing, again, is an area where It's been around for a very long time in many different ways. It just didn't have the name. And then we started to name it. And now it's become this completely separate thing. Yes. And there there seems to be not a lot of rules around it. We, We kind of step into this, quote, best practices space. And again, who are determining what's best. And I just love to hear how you are thinking about equity, infusion equity, using the equity lens as we step into this investment community and those investment spaces. And if anything is different from your approach that you are using around making grant investments in organizations? No, you know what? So nothing's really different. I do want to, so people can't see me rolling my eyes when when Nick was talking specifically about impact investing and how it has been distorted over the last, I guess, 12 years now. What, 10th year we celebrated impact investing about a couple of years ago was the 10th anniversary. And oh my, Sir Richard, forgot Sir Richard's last name, that actually kind of coined the term is even like, this is not what we this is not what we're talking about. With respect, you you impact is investing and not investing is not investing for market returns. It's a whole different thing. What I'm really talking about when I talked about our advocacy work is around mission investing. So how do you actually invest your assets in a way that doesn't undermine? And, and there isn't very much an equity piece there. It's, it's, it's who's managing that money. Who are you allowing to manage that money in, in philanthropy? Actually investing in a non-traditional way or what people think. It's so funny. I'm drinking coffee or drinking my tea out of a cup that has VC include, which is a colleague who's actually bringing together black and brown VC leaders to actually help them le- leverage her gravitas and knowledge to get folks to invest in them. And I'm like, what, we had a conversation about DAFs and I was like, why can't philanthropic entity invest in VCs? And please don't tell me about them being riskier because philanthropy as a sector has not been the most attentive when it comes to how we've invested our assets. So for you to take a chance on a black or brown VC leader with solid and tight companies, just please don't. Go ahead and use the, take my comments from earlier about risk and assess. But we've got to move away from traditional. The the thing that we've been actually frustrated with is around banking and investment. And as our assets grow, how do we actually invest those? Finding out, you know, we can't even partner. And you, you and I have had this conversation. Oh my gosh, we can't even partner with a black bank because I was reminded that banks are regulated by the state, not the feds, right? Feds protect the money, the state's regulated. So I have to be in a certain state in order to work in a black bank. I can set up an individual account. Why do I not get to choose from the universe of funds? Why do I actually have to choose the 10 funds that you gave me on the sheet of paper? 
I don't want to invest in any of those because they actually, actually, these are contrary to our mission and our vision. Can we actually look at, use a social justice index that Addisina Capital has created? Why do I have to do the things the way you've told me? Because they're at, and all the things that I'm talking about are not, there's no regulation. I'm talking about behavior change. I'm not talking about any regulation. I'm not talking about any laws, but giving folks access, equitable access to the universe of funds, allowing us to use an asset manager of color, encouraging other folks. Because again, when you begin to move your money in a way that is equitable and fair, that's when change comes about, right? When you start talking about the cash, that's when trust comes about. Same conversation with, you know, the client that was kind of the impetus for more impact. It's all well and good until I'm asking you to let your money be managed by a Black woman. It's all good. You're all about girls of color up until then. So that's what I'm talking about. And then, then we, you know, then there's the, the idea of how do you, you know, we're actually also looking at, can we partner with, and not just, we're looking at something other than just traditional investments. How can we partner with some of the other funds, which of course I, um, it's one fund in particular. Oh, it's a fund in, in Boston that actually works with employment and health. Oh, I knew I was going to forget the name. They actually, you can actually invest in a business by a Black business doing either work around health equity or work around food justice. And these are all businesses. We can, how can we take our funds and invest in that particular program? So yeah, thinking about both mission investment as far as any assets and then impact investing and you know, bypassing and just going straight to Black and Brown organizations, companies. We have a new partner that we're working with called Camino Financial. And I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Just the work that they've done. I'm so excited about how we can help them, support them, whatever it is that they need, because they are actually doing impact investing in communities of color. They're doing the work to support those folks. Their, their story mm-hmm. is beautiful. There's two brothers. Their story is beautiful because their mom was an entrepreneur, owned all of these restaurants. But when it Time, when, when a time came for her to actually seek capital, nothing to be found, nothing yeah. to be found. So yeah, so a little bit of like impact investing. And, and I actually appreciate a donor kind of seeing the value of this work and underwriting it. So yeah, that's the path we're on now. And, you know, a colleague said, he said, you know, cause I was whining and moaning about, <laughs> well, why is it this way? And why is it that way? Right. And he said, and he's actually a, a wealth manager. He said, you know, Vaughn, he says, sometimes things don't change until we say something. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's true. No, but, I, 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 listen, it's, it's so, it's so true. And it resonates because I got, I started to get a lot of calls after George Floyd was murdered and mm-hmm. they were really around two particular needs. One was asking for this black fund manager, this black manager of funds. Like, did I know of any? And, you know, you could come up with one or two, but no one could really pinpoint who they were, where they were, and whether or not they actually worked in the nonprofit space and had that kind of expertise. The second ask was around a black led law firm. 
right? Again, mm-hmm. in the nonprofit space, because there were a lot of questions around, you know, we, we do a lot of focusing on the programmatic pieces, but what about compliance? What about financial management and being able to be supportive there? And, you know, you look around and how many are there, right? That could actually step into the nonprofit space at, at the levels that we're talking about. And it goes exactly. back to this initial part of the conversation, which is we're trying to get these things that we haven't actually invested in. We have not laid any sort of groundwork or or created an environment where these kinds of Black fund managers, Black-led law firms could really kind of spring up all over the place. And so now to ask for them and then, you know, turn this into, well, we don't know if they have the capacity because I think it flows on the other side. And we start to look at not just grantees, but your partners in terms of consulting partners, mm-hmm. uh, non-grantee partners. The question is like, well, what about the capacity? And the capacity becomes a stand-in for risk and the ability oh. to say, we don't have to move forward. Exactly. Risk, trust. And it's just, it's, it's because you actually can't tell me what you mean by capacity. It's an issue right. of trust. That's, that's exactly, and that's what I, you know, we, we started with. It's an issue of trust. It's an issue of, oh my gosh, asking the same question over and over <laughs> and over. And if I was, if you were talking to a white colleague, we would have been done three hours ago, <laughs> four meetings ago, mm-hmm. same question. And I mean, I think that it's, it's painful for folks to hear that, but these are issues of trust. They're issues of trust. And it, and, and this is beyond just, I, I, this is well beyond, well, you know what? I really want to start a partnership with you, but you know, let me get to know you. This is well beyond that. This is, this is what does it mean for a black woman to manage our money. What does it mean? Do we, you know, how many things do we ask for? How many times do we talk? I mean, and you know, reflecting is actually complicated. Um, And so, you know, when, when talking about people doing, you know, when I'm working with people who are doing racial justice or social justice philanthropy, you have to ask yourself, and just to be clear, This is not just white folks. This is folks who work in a dominant society in which we've been sometimes forced in order to survive. We picked up those same habits. So just to be clear, I'm not talking about just white folks. So, you know, reflecting on why you ask the question, reflecting on how many times you ask a question, reflecting on did you have, did your conversation with that white leader go exactly the same way your conversation with that leader of color went. Yeah. I mean, and like I've done that, I'm not asking anybody to do anything I haven't had to do myself. So, but it's just being honest about, it's just, there's a level of trust that folks don't have. Yeah. It's painful to hear, but I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) <laughs> it's the reality. I literally could keep this conversation going. <laughs> your your responses have been so, so insightful, Yvonne, oh, and it really is talking about building in community and how do we do that from a grant perspective, but even outside of that, like how do we partner with folks who are 
are trying to achieve the same goal. And so I've just really appreciated this conversation. Thank and I want to ask so you, uh, yeah, of course, of course. Um, I want to ask you a question that I ask all of our guests to help us continue to build knowledge through books and people we should learn from or about to close us out. What book do you think we should read next or what artist do you think we should be paying attention to? So, you know what, as we were talking the book, and if you've already read it, if you're in philanthropy, I hope you've read it. But if not, feel free to read it now. Bell Hooks. About love. That's the one. People talked about that book for, book for years, and, and it literally made me cry when she passed, I guess, a couple months ago. But one of the things that she says in this book is that love and abuse cannot coexist. It can't. It, and that, and that, that actually is so deep for so many communities, so many people dealing with like so many things, partner violence. But I thought about it in terms of philanthropy. The first time I read it, I was like, oh, my gosh. Are we actually, do we actually carry out abusive behaviors in philanthropy? Because the definition, again, of philanthropy is love of humanity. I always, I, I go to, you know, Corinthians 13. As a Christian, I go to Corinthians 13 and I think about the definition of love and like, oh, it's not abusive, doesn't hold a record of wrongs. Is that the way we're operating in philanthropy? So I would encourage people, if you haven't already, read that. Abuse and love. Love and abuse cannot coexist. And then I learned about this artist from a colleague of mine, Kyle Guante Myrie. I think his last name is spelled M-Y-H-R-E. And I'm, I'm just learning about him. But there was, you know, white supremacy is not a shark. It's the water. And it's so profound when you think about how to navigate racism and white supremacy and how sometimes I think people get hung up on, and not that they should, behavior is very important, but it's the behavior in this larger body of water. It's what I just said. It's like the comment that I made a few minutes ago is not just for white folks. Because if you are in this country, in America, you have had to, to some extent, assimilate if you're going to be successful, not just acculturate. And so are the behaviors that you're carrying out also indicative of white supremacist culture? Um, and I hope I said, yeah, shark, not the water. But just, and I say that to say, it's like learning about his work, his poem, he's a poet, really cool young man. It's amazing how some young people are so thoughtful at such a young age. But if None of that makes sense to you. Just think about your behavior and how do you enter spaces and navigate spaces. But yeah, Kyle Myrie is a, is a poet for, I learned about. So yeah. Thank you for both of those recommendations, Yvonne. We'll put them in the show notes so that okay. listeners can have access to them and make sure that they check them both out. Again, I want to thank you so much for your time today, Yvonne, for the really insightful and thoughtful conversation. I really just liked how we're focused on capacity building. And what's resonating with me is invest in what you want to see. So if you want to see these things come about, then you need to make sure that you are asking yourself the question, have I invested enough? to really have this expectation. And so that really just came through throughout our conversation. And mm-hmm. I think that everything you shared, the your experiences, um, in, as well as your knowledge will allow leaders to practically 
use this information and knowledge to help them build their own organizations bravely. So just thank you again so much. Oh, I hope so. Thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate it. As we wrap up this conversation, we wanted to share a little more about Buildup Inc., a fiscal sponsor and member of the Buildup Companies. Buildup Inc. provides sponsorship of projects and concepts. We bring concepts and ideas to life and operationalize social and economic change. If you would like to explore how Buildup Inc. can address your or your project-specific needs, we will add the link to schedule a discovery call in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nonprofit Buildup. To access the show notes, additional resources, and information on how you can work with us, please visit our website at buildupadvisory.com. We invite you to listen again next week as we share another episode about scaling impact by building infrastructure and capacity in the nonprofit sector. Keep building bravely.